Welcome back to episode 5 of Mexico, the surf trip. We we're trying to get up the Mexican Pacific coast. Um, we're going to make our way up. I don't know if we'll make it to Puerto Vallarta. I'm going to try to clear some things up. I did go back and look at my journals from the trip. This is 20 years ago. And reading through the journals, I did have issues with the dates. I could see where I'd scratched out dates to correct the date that I had written on the day that I had written in my journal. <clears throat> the The bizarre thing about my journal was I changed everybody's name but Sai. And I wrote, a, I wrote myself in third person as Bob. So I'm not real sure why I did any did any of that, but I did, and I had to read through it a little while to figure out who was who and the name changes. Sven, our Swiss-German Euro guest in my journal, is Bruno, but I'm going to keep calling him Sven. He ended up being a pretty funny guy after reading back and, and remembering some things. Um, we weren't real hip on him flipping off the military. But other than that, he was kind of an asset while Sai was out of country for a week. So, to roll this back and try to clear up some of the things, like who was with us and where we were, when we got to Oaxaca, to the Pacific coast, to the fish camp, the little fishing village, where we got robbed overnight, we stayed there for three nights. No, we stayed there for two nights. And where we surfed was called San Diego Point. And the day we got there, after talking to the fishermen, and then going and making up camp, this young guy came up. And I have him in the journal as Roy, a young Mexican. And apparently at some point, while he stayed with us and, and, and hung out with us, for the two days, kind of like a local guide, and we gave him uh, cigarettes and Coca-Colas, and he would bring us fish from the fishing village and marijuana, because most of us at the time, 20 years ago, were smoking marijuana. Carter didn't smoke it very much. The rest of us did when we were at our surf camp site. The thing is, every time we found a surf camp site, anywhere in Mexico along any of the coasts we weren't parked and getting set up for 15 minutes before a local usually a younger person um teenage at the at the youngest though 20 something 2018 that area would either walk up or ride up i remember at truncones a uh, young man rode up on a kid's bicycle going mota coca, mota coca to sell us marijuana or cocaine. We never bought cocaine. The only time we saw it was at Julio's lifeguard guru. 
But every time at a, at a uh, surf spot, a local would show up and he would sell us some grass. And uh, we would smoke it when we felt like smoking it and share it. And then we would leave it there, like under, on a rock with a rock on top of it, if we didn't smoke it all. Because we didn't dare travel with it. And uh, one time we found a, a a camping spot where the surf, we tried to surf it and it just wasn't surfable. And we, we camped on this high, high plateau above the uh, beach, which was straight down this rock. Not not straight down a rock cliff, more like a goat trail, like like uh, Black's Beach that I had explained before in California. And uh, two of the Mexicans, locals, and I tried to paddle out and surf, and it just we weren't successful because it was just it was closeout city. But when we when we got to that campsite, Sai found a half a joint just sitting on a rock, and so we smoked it. <clears throat> I don't smoke now. I haven't smoked since I've had kids. I've had kids 12 years. So Roy would bring us fish and cigarettes, and we would we would cook it and feed him and us. But Roy did this one thing. The the, the young Mexican guy at a at the Oaxaca campsite. What's it called? San Diego Point. We were standing around, or we were gonna go. Fit, go go surfing and leave one guy at the camp or something and we we look over by the water and Roy strips naked and starts jogging around and then he goes for a swim and then he comes out and dries off in the sun and then he puts his clothes back on so that was kind of a one of the bizarros of of that early campsite on the Pacific the other one was when Roy first came up after we made camp, there were two other guys that were a little older than him from the fish camp. And we had already set up our camp and we had a tarp stretched in between the vans. That was our pattern. We'd pull our vans about eight feet apart and stretch a tarp in between it and uh, have it to where our doors open to the inside of this setup. And that was our uh, surf camp every time we, we found a spot. And so we're sitting there, uh, I guess setting up to cook food, but it seems like it was earlier in the day, so maybe we were getting ready to go surfing, and these three guys show up, and Roy is one of them, I don't know what his name is, and then two other guys, and they're just looking at our stuff, they're looking in our vans, while, while standing still, they're like looking in the window, and looking in Carter's van, and looking down at our stuff on the ground, and then I noticed that one of the guys who looked older than those t the other two had a, uh, it's not a spear tip, but it'd be like a spear gun tip or a pike tip. It was, a, it, it was like a six inch spike that was, that was shiny metal that he was holding in one hand and, and caressing with the other. And maybe that's why we were so freaked out when we woke up the next morning and so much of our stuff was gone that those two guys probably came through or at least one of them and took our stuff but they could have just if someone would have woke up and said something we could have gotten stuck and they could have claimed self-defense we're in Mexico they'd just take us out chop us up and take us out and chum us into the Pacific Ocean 
So that we probably didn't realize how close to danger we might have been at that place. But reading back through the journals, and it just, it just, I see their faces, and it's uh that was probably the spookier night of the whole trip, besides the very last night when I got sick. But that's way on down the road. Um, who knows how many episodes this goes on? If you're if you're sticking with me to episode five and you've enjoyed it up to now, stick with me further. Things only careen into the ocean and rocks with birds pecking us in the eyes this is metaphoric it just gets wilder and stranger as we go up the coast a few things to clear up back at the at the milk corral where the guy was milking the cows and carter said that he went and rubbed one out that's not what he said he said man i was so drunk I think I walked down the road and threw a bead. And that's why I didn't understand what he meant. I was like, threw a bead? What the hell does that mean? And the other guys were laughing, and then he explained it to us. And, you know, we roared at that for a while. Um, another thing I haven't mentioned that I remember now is all up and down these uh, national highways that follow the coasts, every time you come, into, come to a uh, village or a community, you know, the smallest place, they have speed bumps in the road that go from one, e way, one edge to the other. And they'll have a sign before it that says tope, T-O-P-E, which means speed bump or bump. And so every time we hit one, we would all yell tope. And that's something that just comes back that I didn't remember. Just the unison tope in the van because mo most of the guys rode with me and usually one person would ride with Carter because he was always, you know, Captain Space Pilot. He was out there, you know, always questioning what we were doing when we'd already decided what we were going to do, including him deciding what we were going to do. And then he second guesses why we're doing that and stuff. That that went that just gained momentum with him. And so he was lucky to have someone riding with him at all, probably. Okay, I've got us ca caught up there. Good, good, good. We are looking at... Okay, I got that over there. So the Verde River break, where we had the long rights, and we were camped up on the tall rock jetty across the river, that place was called Chikawa. And we stayed there for three days. And apparently, there were a lot of Europeans there, there were a lot of European females there because they would lay out topless. They never came and visited us topless. They came and visited us and just like asked us questions and asked if we were surfing during the day. And usually they had a guy with them, at least one. And then they'd go back. And they were wearing their clothes at the time. But I remember Carter one time got caught staring at this girl with, that, with, with her top off. And so he like went, went and awkwardly looked straight and roboted away somehow <laughs> uh that that was and we had waves every morning and every evening and during the middle of the day we would fish and we would just stay in the shade because like i said that far down in mexico 
and and we were just now we we went down in there in March, not in April. We went down there in March, and it was just now getting to be April. We were in that time frame, but the sun was still so intense when it was overhead, so intense. And we met Sven because we were driving through Puerto Angel or Puerto Escondido one. There's two towns next to each other, and we saw him and the little Mexican kid that went with us to to Chicawa. And ended up spending the night when he probably should have been taken home. And I caught him eating our food. We saw the two of them, Sven and the kid, and the kid had a surfboard walking towards the beach. And so we stopped and started talking to him because we saw the surfboard and we wanted to ask questions about surf. We we did that a lot when we saw people with surfboards. We would ask them, we would grill them on where they surf, where can we go to surf, you know, what are good camping places, you know. I went reading back through the journal, I realized how uh, extroverted we could be w with trying to pull information out of locals when it came to surf. Because we were, I mean, we were on the hunt. That's why we were there. We were there to surf. And and and, and number two, to enjoy the culture. You know, we ate, we ate a lot of fish apparently from the from the journals. One day when we were at Chikawa with the long rights for surfing. Sven didn't surf. And so a, a local that lived near the point there, he his family had a had a palapa, a house with a thatched roof and it was semi open air kind of house. Well one of them took Sven fishing and when they came back, it was the middle of the day and we were back at the campsite in the shade, Sven had this big fish. I'm not sure what kind of fish it was. I mean, it wasn't an ugly fish. It looked like a nice, tasty fish. It was, you know, it was a good foot and a half long. And the guy that took Sven fishing said, y'all y'all come to my house and my uh, family will, will cook the fish and y'all can bring some of y'all's food and we'll share food with y'all. And so we went and had an authentic fish lunch at this person's uh, casa. And we all sat around this big table and his it was his his mother and maybe an uncle or a grandfather and a lot of kids and the five of us and the guy that took him fishing and it was it was a really interesting experience and I completely forgot about it until I went back and read the journal so I'm glad I went back and read the journal because think how much I would have to roll back at the end of all these episodes and fill in after you've listened through all of these and then I start pop at the very end, I start dropping in things that happened in episode three or episode five. That wouldn't be as easy as just going ahead now and and dropping it in there, trying to clean it up early. So that's what I'm doing. When I did take the kid back to his home in Puerto Angel from the Good Rights Surfing Place, Chikawa, and Sven was riding with me. We got him home. His dad was cool. We got the feeling that, <clears throat> and this is Sven telling me this, that his mom would be upset when she got home because she didn't like that he was gone. But she wasn't there then. She was working. So we leave. We don't have to go back. And when we're on our way back, I realize, and we had left Puerto Escondido and Puerto Angel, and we were in this long 
span of uh, coastline. You can't see the water from where we are. But we're in this long span of just nothing between Escondido and Verde River, where Chikawa is. And that's where we found the wildfire, which was in a dip in the land, like a gully, and then the road went back up. And it was the flames were coming through the road, and we went through it, and I was like, we were going to run out of gas. And I was coasting down the hill. Anytime we had a, a, a decline, I would coast. That's how low on gas we were. And then I would give it gas just enough to get us up the hill, and then I would just baby the gas pedal. And I just knew, first of all, I was scared we were going to run out of gas and stall in the wildfire. I'd forgotten about that. But we didn't. We got through it. Excuse me. <clears throat> it's been dusty and dry here. And when we top the hill and go not even 100 yards, we see the sign of a Pemex gas station. And we literally coasted into the gas station to the pump, running out of gas. We got gas and went on back to Chikawa, which was probably 40 kilometers down the road and a good 20 to 30 kilometers of driving from the National Highway out, you know, towards the ocean because you drove, you drove towards the ocean, but then you had to cut parallel and then towards it and then cut parallel. You had to, you had to kind of follow the river at the way it wound to the ocean. So it took, it took a lot of time and, uh, but we got our gas and we made it. And I, I think that was a place where we really flirted with the uh, the gas pump girls because they wore bikinis underneath their coveralls. And they had their coveralls unzipped down to their navel. So you could see their bikini top and their nice, you know, dark skin. And uh, which reminds me when Julio was with us later and we were we were further north there were actually Mexican locals asking if Julio was a Negro. And that's what they said. Uh, uh, Esta Negro? And we're like, who, Julio? I'm like, CC, is, is, is he uh, a Negro? Or like, is he black? See, si, Negro. I'm like, no, he's a Mexican. He's from Acapulco. And they, they would just be like, they were speechless, really. I guess that's because he was so dark because he was a beach beach guy. Surf and lifeguard. Really good guy. Really cool guy. So, we stayed three days at Chikawa and surfed all three days straight. Somewhere along here, we drove all the way into Acapulco and met Julio. See, my, the dates in my book and when we pick up Sai in Acapulco and send Sven off in Acapulco when we, when we swap out, seems like all five of us were together. I know we were when we were at this long beach um, it was Playa Ventura. That's right. 
there was a desolate beach that you could drive out to and then you could drive down it and you could drive for miles and miles and miles and miles down this beach and if you stayed up high on the beach because it was flat and then it dropped down to the ocean if you stayed up high on the sand it was it was compact enough to drive on and so we didn't have any problems getting stuck but we never found any surf it was all closeout surf and there was a lot of wind but there's this one thing we you know we didn't get any surf but there was this one Sven moment when we were sitting in between the vans with the tarp on top and the wind was blowing and the surf was crashing but it wasn't rideable and Sven is holding in a, one of our tubes of toothpaste and he's reading it you know this is a Swiss German in Mexico I don't think he'd been to America the United States of America and he's reading this I can see it now he's reading this tube of toothpaste and we're watching him just smiling you know thinking what the hell is he doing and he says what is squeeze and Carter starts laughing and he and he gestures with his hand holding his member and he goes ha 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 and Sven says oh so sometimes I squeeze my penis <laughs> we, we roared man we roared. He he kept us in stitches at times when he wasn't flipping off the uh, the military. He really kept us in stitches. He was a nutball man, and uh, I'm sure he's somewhere over in uh, Switzerland now. And, and you know, there's Swiss Germans, Swiss Belgians, and Swiss French. And I could see why he was Swiss German because he was. Very confident. You have to be confident to flip off the military. Or stupid. And he wasn't stupid. He had been in the Swiss military. And he had driven trucks. And he drove, I let him drive my van. I remember letting him drive my van. And that's what he was doing when he flipped off the uh, military. And I told him I wanted to pull over. But I was like, you know, we need to speed up. What were we thinking? We got to get out of here. Huh. Puerto Vallarta is so far up there. And I'm not getting this there. Because I didn't read ahead beyond Troncones. And I talked about Troncones, which would have been in April. I'm looking at my, uh, my, uh, my book here, my journal. There was a lot of, I remember we ran into a lot of, uh, we started seeing surfers by now at these breaks that were doing the same thing we were doing. And there were several at Troncones, and we, we saw them again when we went to the next break. And we had uh, gotten rid of Sven and picked up Sai, and he was doing good. We stayed at Troncones for three days and nights. And we had a local come up and ask if we wanted Mota or Coca. And we got Mota. And it was the strongest Mota maybe I'd ever had. Except for maybe one time when I lived in Charleston, Banjo Tim had some stuff. That was Indica, whatever that means. 
and it was it was strong but this stuff in Chonkones was like Cheech and Chong the band can't play flies are buzzing around our heads strong except Chong's like man this this stuff's not working this stuff worked and uh, I hardly surfed at Troncones. That was mainly because the waves were so big. That's when that that's when the big super swell from the southern hemisphere came in at Troncones, and it came in for three days. And one day it was so big it was even sweeping through the uh, clean, the the area where you could sit out in the safe area, in the middle of that uh that cut. You know the beach came down. You had the sunken rocky point where the waves broke and you could ride left. And then way out past the left was the safe zone where if there was people in boats dropping people off. And, they, and there was one day people that came up in boats and, and jumped out on their boards and went and surfed and he stayed out in the safe zone. Well, the day that it was so big where we had 25-foot waves coming in, it was the way, the white water waves were just busting through the safe zone and everything and just coming into shore and washing foam up almost to our vans it was it was a sight to see huge waves i wouldn't mess with them they weren't i, I wouldn't seasoned that well to take on that kind of surf you know californian surfers that had surfed all their life would be used to big waves like that i was not i did the smart thing if i did go out i stayed in the safe zone but that day i didn't go out I remember Carter and Nate catching a lot of good waves way out on their longboards and just riding these bombs like they were Hawaiian gods, man. It was so cool. They were they were really good surfers. I'll give them that. They were they were dumpster fires on land, but they knew what they were doing in the water, <laughs> which didn't help us at all because on land, you know, one was just an idiot sorry and the other one was a space pilot and so dealing with them was difficult at times later no I'm gonna say that for later when we're in Puerto Vallarta we're a long way from Puerto Vallarta and I don't know what we did in between Ixtapa and Puerto Vallarta there was that break where we had the lefts, and I'm trying to find the name of the place in my book, and I'm sitting here boring y'all to death talking about stuff I've already gone over. But that's just how it is. My Spanish sucks. That's written here. Truncones. There's a lot of truncones. Okay, so I, I, I went through that book, so I've got book two. And we're still at Troncone since April 7th. So we've been there maybe longer than three days. But there was a lot of surf there. And, and plus we were just we were just about paralyzed from that uh, marijuana that that kid brought us. Playa Saladita was where the long lefts were that were just, you know, on me about shoulder high. Standing on the wave in front and it was clean. And I remember when we got there, there was there was a little bar and houses and palapas, which are just uh, palm fronds covered pole barns or whatever you want to call it, just 
just shady spots with tables that are wide open, no walls. And we'd have some beers there, and 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 then we'd go back to to the point where the river. This is a different river. I have no idea what that river is. Where this river came out, and when the waves came in at the river mouth, they broke right on one side of the river mouth and left on the other side of the river mouth. And the rights weren't very good. I guess the super swell had messed up the sandbars there. And so they were closing out or they just weren't forming. But the lefts were still perfect. Now I took some photos there. But I remember there was this big sand dune behind where we pulled out on the uh, big flat there by the river where we camped. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we go back behind the sand dune to do our number twos. Because remember, we didn't go into local bathrooms. They were awful. And there was one point where we all got up in the morning around the same time, which didn't always happen. And strangely, we all had to go to the bathroom at the same time. And there were, there were all, it was at the, at that river mouth, there, there were a lot of trees and a lot of brush and a lot of, I don't know what to call, like palmetto palms that come out of the ground here and stay low to the ground. They don't have trunks. There was, there was a lot of that in this area off the beach. And <laughs> all four of us went into these bushes and stuff, spread out and pooed at the same time. Isn't that lovely? I know y'all want to hear more about that, right? And we were giggling and laughing and, and, and saying, uh, who knows what we were saying, but it's, it, it's in my journal. And I guess I wouldn't have written it down if it wasn't worth mentioning. And, and it really gives credence to why Mexico smells like wood smoke and shit. Oops, wasn't supposed to say that. I've been trying to keep this uh, non-explicit, but I dropped the S-bomb. I'm going to leave it in there. Uh, obviously, I said spit, kids. You know what I mean, spit. I don't know how long we stayed at Saladita. We stayed two days for sure. We stayed however long there were waves there. We never left a place until the waves went out. And two days later, we were at Bar de Navidad. And I don't see that on the map. Well, I've cleaned things up a little bit. And I've gotten us out of Acapulco finally. And up past Zihuatanejo, Extapa. Oh, I think Zihuatanejo was where we saw our first prostitute when we were in the town getting supplies. Some hoochie girl with short, short, short shorts, extremely tight. And a, and a little bitty shirt exposes her entire midriff and heels and a lot of lipstick and makeup. And uh, she was, it's like she was, she wasn't working a corner. It's like she was working a storefront. And we were across the street and then down two stores getting tortillas, big stack of tortillas. And we'd also get a, a, a big bag of tortilla uh chips which like i said were big round they were round they were like a tortilla fried which is exactly what they were and they weren't broken up or in triangles they were big round discs that we would bust and use to eat eat our food instead of using spoons often 
And I remember I, I almost wanted to, I almost went over and talked to her just to try to get a read on what her deal is, what her what her life is there in, in Ixtapa. But I didn't, and I think I didn't because I, I suddenly got in my mind that she probably had a pimp watching, and I just didn't want to step into any of that junk. <laughs> I wasn't going to step into it anyway. So we leave Seguero across the border, military. Maybe that's where they tried to take my knife, and I wouldn't let them. They wanted batteries too, the, the, the military or the police. It was military usually at state borders. And uh, that's when we went into the state of Michoacan, which we did not find surf in, as I recall. And Michoacan, I had recalled, was, was like a, a strain of marijuana that we also didn't find while we were there. And we'd also heard from Julio, who's traveling with us now. So there would have been five of us in the bushes pooing, four gringos and a Mexican. Um, we heard Michoacan was really tough. Like the locals were tough guys. And you didn't mess with the Michoacan people. Not that we would have messed with anybody anyway. We're foreigners in a foreign land. And we had a, we had a couple of neat camp spots, I guess. There wasn't any surf. Um, I can't think of anything else that happened to Mutual Con. Besides, we just camped, couldn't find surf, and kept on moving. And then there's a little bitty state. And it doesn't have a name on here. Manzanillo is what's there. And I don't remember much about Manzanillo either. I mean, here's Bar de Navidad, and we hadn't had waves since that point on the with the lefts. So, oh, the mosquitoes were bad in Michoacan. The moscas were really bad, and it was also the first day we had an actual cloudy day. Every day was just blue sky clear hot sun and in mutual con we actually had a day of of overcast which means nothing we went to a a well-known uh surf spot called rio nexpa that was not breaking i don't think we even camped there i think we just kept moving i think we were running we were beyond our halfway point on our on our visas and we were kind of hitting the under two week countdown so we were trying to find better uh, surfing and better camping and it says in here we're basically just trying to make a shot to Puerto Vallarta because there's just no surf and then I'm talking about dreams and I'm uh, talking about home I guess I might have been getting a little bit homesick by now it's April 12th and we're in Puerto Vallarta I'm gonna cut it here this is basically just a catch-up episode trying to straighten out you know where when we got to where and who we were with and I'm still not real sure on the trade-off days of when Julio joined us 
Because maybe Sa didn't stay with us at Julio's house. And then we went and got Julio. We had dropped off Sven, I know. I don't know if Sven and Sai ever met. I just, I, it's not in the journals. So I can't tell you. There, there's too much mystery shrouding over this, huh? I hope y'all forgive me for it. Maybe y'all should go down there and drive through and check it all out yourself. You can drive in at Brownsville all the way down to Veracruz. Then go due south to Salina Cruz, then up the coast to Puerto Angel at the point, and then start heading up the Pacific belly of Mexico. And you can go through Escondido and Santiago and Acapulco and Zihuatanejo and Ixtapa and Playa Azul and Manzanillo. There was no surf in those in Michoacan and Manzanillo. But then we had Guadalajara, where Puerto Vallarta is. Guadalajara. Is that the name of the country, too? I mean, the state? No, it's Jalisco. Jalisco. Jalisco or Jalisco? Guadalajara is the capital. It's a popular town. We did not go there either. We went to Puerto Vallarta, and it was really cool. We did some neat things, and we saw something. The, these young Mexican men have no problem just up and leaving their family, their girlfriends, their wives, their babies, their jobs, whatever, to go to the United States. Because that's that they were going with us to surf. But <laughs> Carter and Nate had these had Julio and his half brother, whom we'll meet in Briarda, had had them sold on going to California. And I'll get into Viarda on the next next episode, which you'll be able to just uh, click right over to and listen to in like 20 seconds or less. Whereas I won't record it until tomorrow sometime, probably tomorrow night. It's about 11.38 p.m. here, October 3rd. Uh, it's still hot. You know, it's raining a little bit in the area lightly, but it's dry. <laughs> I'm getting ready for an art show this weekend. Local art show. Um, been making some metal, some neat stuff. But that has nothing to do with Mexico. So, too true to lie. Too confused to lie. <laughs> this is Harry Day. Thank you for listening. Peace! Oh, you know, man, you know, man, you know, man.